Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. strength to you and that you'll actually learn to enjoy praying rather than feeling like it's a religious duty that you have to perform or something you've got to check off. I don't want it to be that for you. I want you to find life and joy in coming before him and praying. And so my desire is that we would be a church that prays and that we pray often and that we pray first. God has been good to us. We've been blessed. We're growing numerically. We're growing financially where people are getting plugged in and being discipled and Incredible stories are happening all the time, but we have a bright future ahead of us, and in order to achieve all that stuff that God's put out for us, we're going to have to be people of prayer. So, so that's my hope for this series, and I hope it's your, your desire for your life too, but each week what we've done is we've kind of walked through Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, line by line by line, and it really has been kind of incredible as we've gone through it, because who doesn't want to have a Father who's in heaven? Who doesn't want to come before him in holiness and beauty and say, oh God, hallowed be your name. Everybody wants for the kingdom of God to come to the earth and for us to live as a part of that. All of us are looking for that nice, fresh loaf of daily bread. And so you pray through those things and you kind of think, yeah, I'd, I like this praying thing. I could get down with this praying thing. I think I could do this. But then the next line kind of sneaks up on us. And it hits us right where we live. Because first, what he says, it kind of jabs us in the gut. It says, forgive us our sins. Like, no qualifiers, no excuses, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no nothing. Just, we're all sinners. We all need forgiving. And we think, well, I don't love that. I don't love saying that every day. And as you're dealing with that, then comes the right hook as he says, as we forgive those who sin against us. And we think, wait, what? No, I don't always want to do that. I don't always feel like forgiving people, because I don't know if you know this or not, Brent, but people are jerks. <laughs> Is that too close to home? Is that like, <laughs> oh, preach like Pastor Joel. And this is the only line of the Lord's Prayer that comes with a caveat, and that is, that if we won't forgive other people, we won't be forgiven ourselves. And we don't like this. We struggle against it. We wrestle against it. Like Adam blaming Eve, we want to pass the buck to somebody else. Right? But, 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 but wait, but you don't understand. Look, it's their fault. No, he, he did it. You don't get it. He deserves every bit of what he's getting from me. It's her fault. I'm the victim here. I'm the good one. They deserve everything they're getting. They're the ones in the wrong. You know, it's funny, William Shakespeare, uh, he's, he kind of nailed this whole thing, actually. He said, we make guilty the sun, the moon, and stars as if we were villains on necessity, drunkards, liars, and adulterers by an enforced obedience of planetary influence. Some of you are like, huh? <laughs> what does that mean? Basically, what he's saying is, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else. It's everybody else's fault. It's everything else's fault. But I like what Pete Gregg says in his book. He says, clenched fists and pointing fingers, they close our hands to grace. 
Think about it for a second. Clenched fists. God, I'm going to hold on to this. Pointing fingers closes our hands to the grace of God that he wants to work in our lives. And the reality is, is that many of us live our lives that way when it comes to relationships with other people. So obviously this is a hugely important section in the Lord's Prayer. Why? Well, it's because forgiveness of sin, it's our greatest need and it's God's greatest gift to us. It is absolutely our greatest need. Romans 3.23 says, what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means none of us are immune. None of us can reach God on our own. Each one of us falls short. We're all stuck. We can't get to God by ourselves. And the only way that we can do that is simply to ask him. And then he says, and then I want you to pass that same forgiveness on to everybody else that you come into contact with. But to be able to ask for it first, we've got to admit that we all need it. So Jesus obviously knew this was important. He puts it in this prayer that he's teaching us. He says, when you pray, I want you to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He knew that we would need it, and we would need it on the regular. You remember the story of the paralyzed man that his friends brought him to Jesus? They couldn't get in because the crowd was there, and so they lowered him down through the roof. You remember that story? And so it's a, it's a pretty incredible story, and actually, it, because I just came back from Israel, I've got this picture. It actually is believed to have happened right here. Like, see this, see this round structure right up there above this big block? It's really dark, but there's a lone little pillar there right to the right of that side of the circle. I don't know if you can see it. Just barely sitting in there. I didn't realize it was going to be that dark. But that is, the, that is actually, from the first century, that is the house where they believe this actually happened. I know, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? More home movies for you. Enjoy. But there in Capernaum, they think that it happened there, and his friends, they pushed through the crowd, and they ripped off the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to heal him. So they look, and they said, Jesus, you got to heal this guy. But what was the first thing that Jesus said to that guy? In Luke 5, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wait, wait, what? You can see the friends up on the roof. Uh, yo, did you hear that? Hey, Jesus! Not what we were asking. Dude can't get up. Could you let him get, heal him? We don't care about that, right? That's what we would all do. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I love this, they began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. So Jesus forgives his sins first, and then heals his body too. But he does it only because... He wanted them to know that the Son of Man had authority to forgive sins. Now, don't you think these are interesting priorities? Do you see it? His priorities are not ours. Wouldn't we have all just healed the guy first? Guy comes down through the roof. We're like, oh, poor guy, get up, take your mat. That's not Jesus' first intention. So there's just no getting around it. This is the hardest line in the Lord's Prayer. And it's also at the same time the most outrageous line. Because if you look at it, there's no please. There's no... I'm sorry. There's just this bold request that honestly 
It sounds more like a demand. Forgive us our sins. And if you read it in Matthew's gospel, he writes, forgive us our debts. Matthew 6, 12, and, 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 and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that Greek word that he uses for debt, it's actually a commercial term. And what it means is, it means that you owe something. It means that there's a payment that's now due. You have an obligation to pay up. It's time to give. It's time to pay up. In other words, you're carrying this debt, and right now is the time to pay it. And the word forgive that he uses has a similar commercial connotation because it literally means to just wipe the slate clean. Wipe the slate clean of all the stuff that I currently owe you. Now, when you look at this, you realize this is preposterous. To most of us, it's preposterous because that's not how the world works, man. It just doesn't go that way. That's not how people live today. Try that with your mortgage lender. Just give it a go. Give them a call. Just call up your credit card company and say, yeah, so here's the thing. My family and I, we've gotten ourselves in a bit of a tough spot. And so we've overspent a little bit. So I was wondering if maybe, you know, we could just be cool. Like maybe just, just go in there, go to your hard drive, just click, click, just delete it all, and let's just be friends. Can we do that? And of course, we know, no way. It's ridiculous. It's naive. It doesn't work that way. Except that that's exactly the way it works with Jesus. That's exactly what he does for all of our debts. That's exactly how he treats us and and it's exactly how he expects us to treat others all the time. Now, when I was in college, it's amazing when you go to college, there's all these credit card companies and they have a very strong desire to give you as a young college man a credit card. In fact, they'll give you a bunch if you want them. It's really neat, and it's quite easy, I found. And so I signed up for some credit cards, and um, I, had this, I had a Discover card, and I was very excited. It's my first big credit card. I put my big boy pants on. I'm very excited about my life, and I got myself in a little bit of trouble. I wasn't, I just, you know, just for the need, just for my necessities. That's all it was. That's all it was for. certainly wasn't to pay for my friends to go out to dinner or any of that stuff. I would never, I would never be so foolish as to do anything like that. So, so I got myself in a little bit of trouble, and I was several thousand dollars deep, and I couldn't pay. I'm, I'm a college man, <laughs> some would say bully, and I, and I, and I, and I can't pay. Uh, I've got a little side job, and, but it's not enough, and, and so it's just taking care of my expenses, and so I'm in trouble. And so I go home to Colorado Springs, and I'm visiting, and the pastor of the church there, he sat down with me, and he said, hey, how's it going? And I said, well, it's okay. I said, well, what do you need? Do you need anything? What can we do for you? And I, and I, I normally I would say, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing great. Glory to God. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. That's normally what I would say. But, <laughs> but I actually had creditors calling my dorm room. And so I said, well, actually, I've got myself in a little bit of trouble, and I, I, could, I could use some help. And he said, oh, wow, well, you're stupid. And I said, well, thank you. Uh, and no, he didn't say that. He said, he said well, how much, how much are you in? And I said, I've got about 3000 bucks. And he said, hmm. Okay, send me those bills. So I email, I sent him those, there was no email then. I said, I mailed him those bills. <laughs> I, went, I got a stamp. This, and I put it on an envelope. And I'd be like, what? And so anyway, I, so, so, I, so, so I mailed him the bills. And you know what happened next month? No more bills. 
I got, the fr- I got it in the mail. I opened it up, and it said, balance due, zero. <laughs> and you know the feeling of freedom that came over me when I opened up that bill for the first time. How much more, everybody, for all the stupid mistakes, all the sinful stuff, all the wrong attitudes, all the rebellion, all the lies, all the arrogance, all the stuff that we carry, and Jesus says, hey, just send me that bill. I've already paid for all of it, and I'll take care of it for you. But if you're going to do it, you're going to have to live that way with everybody else. Forgive us as we forgive others. And so, by the way, this doesn't mean that we do this in order to earn God's forgiveness in some way. We don't forgive so that we can earn forgiveness. All this is, is a statement of our loyalty to Jesus and to his kingdom. That's all this is. Because claiming the central blessing of the kingdom of God here, this forgiveness, claiming that blessing, it only makes sense if we're living the same central blessing ourselves. And this is what Jesus is after. In other words, it's simply the way of Jesus, everybody. This is just living in the kingdom of God. And it's a good moment for us just to pause and look around our relationships in our lives and go, am I living according to that standard? Frederick Buckner, he said, he talks about confession. I think it's so important. He says, to confess your sins to God is not to tell God anything that God doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. But when you confess them, they become the golden gate bridge. Don't you love that? So confession is so important to us. Just being willing to come to God and say, oh God, forgive me, I confess. Most of us think that confession is this negative word. I don't want to say it because it means admitting that I've done something foolish or stupid, but it's an incredibly positive word. In fact, millions of people have found freedom from addiction through 12-step programs. And it's that fifth step, the simple confession, where they say, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. And there's such power in confessing those sins, and not just to God, but to another person. This is the Bible has to say, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it doesn't just stop there, because if you're willing then to confess it to somebody else, James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. You confess your sins to him, you find forgiveness and purity. You confess your sins to other people, and you find healing. This is the way that he designed it to work. That's why Catalyst is so important. That's why being in a group is so important. That's why being a part of Team One is so important, so you can have relationships right like this. It's so important that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first... Go and be reconciled, and then come back and offer your gift. Where else in the scripture are you asked to worship God second? Nowhere. Nowhere does he ask you to come and worship second. He says this is that important. But sometimes what we want to do is we want to separate our relationships with God and our relationship with people. Oh, me and God, we're good. We spend every morning together. We're tight. No, I'm doing so good in my life with God. But me and Susan... We are not doing good. Me and Bill have issues because he wronged me. He ruined my promotion at work. I love God. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. I do not like Bill. And we separate it. And we think it's okay. No, that's just the way it works because Bill deserves it. 
here's the thing. We can't be more reconciled to God than we are with one another. You can't be more reconciled to him than you are with Billy. <laughs> and our prayer lives and our relationships are intricately interwoven. And as we forgive other people their sins, we find forgiveness ourselves. I want to tell you a story about forgiveness, actually. Some of you will be familiar with it. It's about a young girl named Ruby Bridges. At age six, Ruby Bridges, she was volunteered by her mom to become the first African-American girl to attend an all-white elementary in Louisiana. And each day, little Ruby Bridges, she would be escorted by 25 federal marshals that were there to protect her from the angry crowds that would gather every day when she would go to school. So as she walked to school back and forth every day, there'd be one woman who would regularly scream death threats at six-year-old Ruby Bridges. One person brought a little black doll in a coffin and would present that to Ruby Bridges as she walked to school in and out. But Ruby, having braved the, the hatred of the crowd, Every single morning, Ruby would walk into school accompanied by these marshals, and she would sit in an empty classroom because all the parents took all their kids out of school. And she would sit there in an empty classroom being taught by a woman named Barbara Henry because Barbara was the only teacher that was willing to take that assignment. And Ruby recalls she would wander the school at break time looking for other kids to play with, and of course, there were none because the school was empty. And the images of this tiny little girl so smartly dressed, I mean, look at her, guarded by these men twice her size. These images polarized America, and Norman Rockwell, actually, he painted a painting of this called The Problem That We All Live With. There's a child psychologist by the name of Robert Coles, and he watched this play out and decided that he would offer Ruby a little bit of counseling. And so once a week, he would go to her home, and he would sit there, with her four siblings and her parents, neither of whom could read or write. And he would try to help little Ruby Bridges. And one day he said, Ruby, you looked like you were talking to the people on the street yesterday. Did you finally give up? Did you finally get angry with them? Were you telling them that they should just leave you alone? And Ruby replied politely, no, doctor. I didn't tell them anything. I didn't talk to them. Robert Cole said, well, well, who were you talking to then? And the little girl stared at him, and she said, well, I was talking to God. I was praying for those people in the street. Robert Cole said, you, 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 were, you were praying for them? But Ruby, why, is, why are you praying for them? And her eyes widened, and she said, well, don't you think they need praying for? And Robert Coles, like many of us, was lost for words. He didn't know what to say. And so as he finally regained his composure, he whispered, what, what do you say for them? What do you say about them when you pray for them like that? And she said, oh, I always say the, the same thing. Please, God, try to forgive these people. Because even if they say those bad things, they don't mean any harm. Six years old. Everybody, Ruby Bridges shows us the way of Jesus. She shows us the way that he actually calls us to live, to forgive those people who sin against us. This is what he modeled for us on the cross as he was beaten, as he was nailed there, as they jeered at him and taunted him. And he said, Father, forgive them. You see?
see it. Like this is, this is the kind of stuff that really changes us. This is the kind of stuff that impacts cultures. This is actually the stuff that changes the world. And we desperately need this in our world today. You know it as well as I do. Because our society is so bitterly divided. We just saw yet another example in the impeachment vote this past week. Another prime, perfect example of the division that's in our country today. You've got left versus right and conservative versus liberal and black versus white, rich versus poor, men versus women. And everybody, absolutely everybody is offended all the time. It doesn't matter what you do or say. Somebody is going to be offended. Families are falling apart. Society is fragmenting. International alliances are falling apart. Politics has polarized everybody. And breaking into all of that mess comes Jesus and his teaching on how to pray. Saying, Father, forgive us. We forgive those who sin against us. You see it. We can't separate our prayer for the kingdom of God to come from Jesus' radical call to be reconciled with those people who sin against us. Reconciliation is actually what the coming of God's kingdom looks like. This is what's going to happen one day when he returns and everything is put to rights and every relationship is reconciled. And in the meantime, we get to live that out here. We get to be the forebearers, the ones who show what that day is going to be like. The question for us as followers of Jesus is, are we really showing that? I've asked myself that question a lot this week. Matthew 5, 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Turn on the news today. You don't see a lot of that happening. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, this is where it is. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave to us, to you and to me, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. I'm not going to hold people's sins against them. And that means that you're not allowed to either. And so the Lord's Prayer, it's this cry for reconciliation in our world at every level. It's a cry for personal reconciliation as we say, Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's reconciliation in our broken relationships with one another as we say, forgive us as we forgive one another. It's a cry for reconciliation in our broken relationship with the entire world as we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now, Ruby Bridges, she did this in a dramatic fashion. And most of us, We'll never have to do it in that dramatic of a way. But all of us can do it in less dramatic ways. It means when you're hurt or wounded or offended, you can pray for them and forgive them. What? But it's Bill. Yeah, even Bill. Even Susan. All of them. You can pray and you can forgive. You cannot respond when your views get attacked on social media. It's a weird thing. A lot of people don't know it. But actually, your thumbs don't have to move. You don't have to. You can turn it off. You can put it in your pocket. And you can move on. You can do it. We can all show this in less dramatic ways. You can love and pray for people who you believe to be your enemies. And Jesus says, as you do so, the Father will give you grace. Now, I realize that there are probably many people in your life that have hurt and wounded you. 
And so the idea for me to say this to you, it feels a little preposterous. It feels like forgiving them, it's going to be really painful, too painful. But I just want you to remember something that you already know. Until you forgive them, they still have a hold on your heart. They're still living rent-free in your mind. They still have a control over you. And if they're in there, you are not yet walking fully in the ways of Jesus and in his kingdom. You've heard it said before that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Right? Bleep, 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 bleep. Yeah, take that. Bleep, 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 bleep. It's ridiculous. I like, somebody else said, and I like this a lot, unforgiveness is like setting yourself on fire and expecting them to die of smoke inhalation. You're burning. You're dying. And they're fine. You feel this? Do you feel it? No, they don't. But it's killing you. So here's the thing. Forgiveness, it's this choice. It's this decision. I'm going to let them go, regardless of the wrongness. I'm going to choose to love them. I'm going to choose to let them go, not to hate them, not to hold on to them and what they've done. And it tends to be a process, and I actually think that process is really good. For some people, it requires that you wake up every morning and you say, God, I forgive them. And people balk at that and say, but I don't forgive them, so I won't pray that because I'm not a hypocrite like you. But I don't think it's hypocritical at all. Because what you're doing is you're deciding, in faith, I'm forgiving this person. And you're praying that and confessing that to Jesus every single day. I forgive this person. It's a process. You choose to forgive over and over and over again. But what if forgiveness is more than a wimpy way to just deal with mean people? What if forgiveness is more than just a, a weak way to take care of people that have hurt me? What if it's actually more a, of a hardcore Jesus-y type thing? What if it's a little stronger than that? Because I believe... That forgiveness is a supernatural gift from God to defeat sin and overcome evil. Jesus did it first, and now he's given you the ability to do the same. To defeat sin and overcome evil. Forgiveness is the way that Jesus taught us to overcome darkness in our lives. And defeat the vile bitterness that harms our hearts and hurts our relationships. That's why forgiveness can be so incredibly freeing for you. Because forgiveness is like breaking free of chains. Kind of freedom that you haven't known before. See, I think that forgiveness, it identifies you as a follower. Forgiveness identifies you as a follower of Jesus. Meaning, you can't be a follower of Jesus and not forgive. Forgiveness identifies you as a follower. So, before we go here, I just every one of these messages in this series, I just want to give you something that I think will be a little bit helpful to you. Because all of us need this ability to stop and self-reflect and think about what's going on to be able to ask God to forgive us. So there's been a lot written for the past 2,000 years about examining ourselves, especially from the Jesuits who made popular a way of praying called the prayer of examining. It'll be familiar to some of you, but Pete Grigg actually talks about this in a very simple way. He doesn't speak Latin. Most of us don't speak Latin. And so there's just a four simple things that you can do every day to help you evaluate, reflect, and be able to make these confessions. And so I just want to help you really quick. Here they are. It's replay, rejoice, repent, and rebuke. First, replay. What you do is you just start by replaying your entire day. You come to prayer, and you pr replay your entire day. And what you'll want to do is you'll want to hit the highlights. You want to think about the big moments and the big things that happens. But, but if you would just take a little time to think about the in-between moments, the more mundane things that happened in your life that day. Look for little attitudes that you had. Look for a little moment with your kids that just kind of bypassed you. 
Look for a moment that you had it with a, a checkout clerk at a store. Look for the moment when the driver cut you off on I-35 and you waved. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> think, about, think, about, think about those moments. And replay your day. Some people call this rummaging for God. Like just rummaging around your day, like a, like a junk drawer in your home, just looking for the moments where God was. And then you just ask questions like, God, where were you when this happened? Not an accusatory way, but I think you can handle that. But, but in a way of saying, okay, God, where were you? What did I miss? Where were you when this was happening? And how can I be a little more in tune next time this shows up in my life? And as you do this, as you kind of work chronologically through your day, you'll begin to discover that you have more to repent for than you thought. Oh, in that little in-between moment, I gave my wife the gall. You'll find that there's more opportunities to repent than you were aware of, but you'll also find that there's more to rejoice over than you realize, that God was involved in your day. So you replay your day looking for those opportunities. And then as you find them, number two, you just rejoice. God, thank you that you were with me when that happened. God, thank you that I see what happened when I, that driver cut me off, and I didn't crash, and I bless you, sir. <laughs> With all my fingers, I bless you. <laughs> all of them. I'll give you all ten. <laughs> You'll start to see the frequency that God whispered to you. Remember the unexpected moment where you ran into a friend, and what a surprise. You remember the YouTube video that somebody sent you. It made you laugh and brightened your day. You remember that your son came and he gave you a hug. Your teenage son dropped by and was like, hey, I love you, Dad. And you're like, <laughs> that was awesome. Now you, you remember those moments. You remember that glorious cup of coffee that you drank in the morning. You remember the warmth of your bed. And you just rejoice over the things that God has done. But you also realize as you replay the day that God's not just with you in those rejoicing, wonderful moments, but he's also with you in the valley. He's also with you in the darkness. And you rejoice and thank God that you were with me when I had to have that hard conversation with Bill. <laughs> David G. Benner, he says, unwelcome circumstances are not gifts, but they might contain a gift. <laughs> they're, not, they're not gifts, but they might contain one. So you replay, then you rejoice, and then you repent. As you replay the day and you rummage around to find God, you rejoice in his blessings. You'll also be reminded of all the actions and attitudes and stupid things you did that were wrong. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance where you were selfish, where you were arrogant, where you had pride, where you were lustful, where you were unkind to somebody. All those things that are pretty hard, to, they're easy to ignore in the moment. Well, that's not a big deal. You just bypass it. But when you're under the direct gaze of God and laying your life bare, it's really hard to just let them go. And so as it comes up, we've got a choice. We can hide like Adam and Eve, or we can open up and confess and turn away from those ways. You replay, you rejoice, you repent, and then finally you reboot. After you've replayed the day and you've rejoiced and you've repented, you start looking to tomorrow, looking for God, asking him for strength to live a little more for your glory the next day. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces will contemplate the Lord's glory we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Why don't you guys come on back up? So how does this verse actually happen? Does it just automatically happen regardless of our choices? If you've ever met like a really grumpy, cantankerous, old Christian guy, you realize, no, this, this process, it does not just happen to us. We have to make choices every day 
to arrive at this place where we're transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And so through this prayer of examine, I think we can help you learn to make better choices, to recognize where God is at work, to recognize where you need to clean up a little bit and help you as you pray, forgive us as we forgive others. On July 15, 2011, Ruby Bridges was invited by President Obama to come to the White House. And she showed up, and they looked at Norman Rockwell's painting of her, where it was temporarily on display there. And the two of them stood there looking at that little girl in that white dress as she walked to school in front of hateful graffiti and horrible people. The first African-American girl to attend William France Elementary School and the first African-American commander-in-chief. And President Obama, he looked over at Ruby, and he said, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be here today. Now, that's not a political statement. You don't need to read anything into that. I know how people are. Well, I'm Facebooking you, hater. <laughs> for whatever reason, I can't imagine. But it's not a political statement. It's a statement of forgiveness changes the world. Because Obama's, he's not blowing smoke, it's the reality. People like that paving the way, living the kind of lives that she lived, it paved the way. Forgiveness changes our world, it changes the world. Ruby reminds us our choices to forgive can change the world. They, they break cycles of bitterness. And some of you are living in those cycles right now. They heal divisions in our world. Our choices to forgive, they multiply the grace of God in our lives. In other words, it really does change the world. But without forgiveness, all of these prayers, the Lord's prayers, we're learning to pray, it's all just dead religion. But when we forgive those who hurt us, we hallow the Father's name, we see the kingdom of God come to earth, and we ourselves find forgiveness. Close your eyes for a moment, bow your heads. We've got lots of time here. We intentionally plan the services this way so we can have a little time to worship and pray here at the end. And I just want us to take a moment and I want us to respond to these ideas. It doesn't matter, everybody, what you've said or what you've done, what you've thought about saying or what you've thought about doing or where you've been or who you've been there with. I want you to know today there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. You can't be too broken, too bad, too boring for God's unconditional love. You can be too proud to acknowledge how desperately you need it. But it's pretty clear from the scriptures, if you'll ask, you'll receive. If you'll just take one step toward the Father, he'll come running to you. If you just fumble through that even unconvincing apology, he'll hug you and tell you to be silent and welcome you as his child. If you'll pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Just those 12 words, he'll do it. He'll forgive you. Just like that, he'll take away your debts. He'll wipe your slate clean. And so some of you, you just need to take that step today. Some of you, it's the first time you've done it. Some of you, it's the first time in a long time. Some of you are carrying unforgiveness and bitterness, and you're in a cycle of hatred right now. Today is the day of liberation. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you find yourself in need of that today, I want you to pray it with me. I'm just going to help you with the words. You'd say, Jesus, forgive me. 
I'm choosing today to release all of my shortcomings and failures. I release all the people who have hurt me, and I choose love. I believe that you gave your life for me, and you paid the price for all of my sins. And so I receive that today. Would you wash my life clean? And the best way I know how, I'm giving you my life today. And I'm asking you to help me to live my life for you. And God, I'm asking you to help me to forgive. The deep wounds and betrayals and pain that I've experienced in my life. I'm choosing today, maybe for the first time, to release that to you and to trust you for my deliverance. Thank you, Jesus' name. As we sing this song, would you allow him to bring up people that you need to forgive? Would you allow him to push on some things in your life? And would you allow him to speak freely with you? And just confess, just let him go. And just decide, and just maybe one by one, just say, God, I forgive so-and-so. You're not hypocritical. You're making a faith-filled choice. You can just stay right there and contemplate and receive and pray. And then at some point, Saul will ask you to jump in and stand to your feet and give God all the glory. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.